0: Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. So this morning, I think we've been talking a little bit about faith. So I'm going to continue along those lines this morning. And, and uh, we have a scripture, I think it'll be on the board there from Mark 11:22. Jesus said this, he said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. That's what Jesus said. Now the thing is, he only said it once, and it's actually only in all the translations that I looked in, it's only in the Bible once. But you know, for me, it's a profound statement. This morning I want to be sharing on having faith in God. But what does that scripture mean to you? Have faith in God. What does it mean to you? Where does it stand in your life, in, in what's happening in your life now? Have faith in God. Where does it sit in the, in the essence of your life? Where is it in your life, in your expectations, the thing that are coming up, the stuff that's happening around about your life? Have faith in God. If you're a parent here today of young kids and you know, coming up through teenagers, that's a significant statement. Have faith in God. Concerning the future of the, of the world where it's going in terms of where your children are at and how they're gonna fit into that and how they're gonna make that happen. How they're going to survive, if you like, through this, this place, this world that we live in now. What about you know th- those expectations? Have faith in God. Where's the you know, the doubt and the concerns and the in the confusion of life? Where does that statement sit? In that. In the reality of your life that is around about your life and those that you know in your workplace and those places. Have faith in God. It's a statement that needs to be in our heart. Today's world, where does it sit in that? Where's the tangible? Where's the substance? Where's the reality of that in your life? Or is it just a statement? Or is it something that makes up, your being, if you like. The thing that, 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 that is in you that makes you who you are. And who will make you the person who, you, who you as you lead your family or lead in, in your workplace, have faith in God. The thing that you hang your soul on. The thing that you hang your emotions on. The thing that you hang your security on. Your life on. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. And of course in the question of most of us who are then ask, but have faith for what? Well, let's look at a couple of those things briefly, but I think there's a whole lot more to it than that. Faith in our finances. That's a big thing. It really is a big thing. Faith in my employment. Faith in my health. Faith in my marriage. Faith in my family. And all those things are very, very real. And if you're in this church today and you've only been coming along a little while, can I encourage you to this? That, that, that somehow or another, that in this church, God has done something over the years that, that we have, I don't know how many, if we have a whole heap of unemployment in this church. Considering that we live in a, the demographic where there's a very high unemployment. If you need a job this morning, I would really love to pray for you that you'd be able to find some work. Because I believe that God has blessed this church. He's blessed this church in the areas of finances. How He does that, I don't know. In health and in marriage and in our children, we see success and we see that God is moving in those areas of our lives. And this morning, I'd really consider it a privilege to be able to, you know, pray for you in those areas if you're struggling in those areas because they're very, very real. In fact, those are the, the essence of the life that you live quite possibly. So Jesus said it in Mark eleven twenty two: have faith in God. Now, here's a question. If you were to summarize your entire faith walk, all your knowledge, all your understanding of God, all your experiences, all your hopes, All your dreams, everything of your conception of God and who God is in your life and who God and what He has done in your life, whether you've been saved for two months or five decades. If you know, how would you summarize that? How many pages would you need? How many trees would you kill? But if I was to say to you, you've got, you can do it in three words. How would you encapsulate that statement, to have faith in God? What if you were to summarise your entire faith walk, everything that you know about God, everything God is to you, everything God has done for you and in you and through you? How would you summarise that in three words? And some of us would say, well, here's the simple one. Yeah, God loves me. Is that three words? God loves me. That's an incredible statement, and that needs to be very, very real in your life. How about God is good? God is good. Yes, that's a, but I think some of you are sitting there, yeah, but I think I want a little bit more than that. Not so much I want more of God, but I want a little bit more that's a little bit more tangible, a little bit more substantial. In so much as that God loves me is is one of the most paramount statements that I should be able to make, and it should be real in my life. But for me, for me it's this, that God is God. Yeah. That God is God. That that one thing, that is the heart of it. That is that one thing that I will stand on, that I will settle on, and that I will place in that place. Anybody see the Lord of the Rings, you know, that where Gandalf's in this in the caves of mortar or somewhere like that. And that great big gargoyle thing, that horrible demonic looking thing is coming up and he gets his staff and he says, you shall not pass. That one statement that's in your life, that you shall not pass, that God is God. That when the impossible comes to your life, when the, when the, the challenge of your finances come, God is God. When, when, when your health is challenged, God is still God. Where you're, where you're struggling with your teenage daughter, God is still God. Because you don't have struggle with teenage sons because you're bigger than them. That's what I always did. That's why I didn't have any trouble with mine, I guess. But anyway. But you shall not pass. You've got to have something like that in your life, sub- something substantial that stands in that place of God when your mind can't grasp it, when your mind does not have an answer for it, that God is God. Yes, right. Folks, you must have that. Now, I was saved and uh, I became a follower of Jesus Christ in 1981. Now, I know that most of you weren't even born then. How many people weren't even born then? How many people were born then? About three of us. Okay. And I got saved, followed Christ. It's a story in itself, which you're not going to hear today. And I had some incredible things happen around my life at that time. Some amazing things. And there are stories in themselves as well. The power of God to touch a person's life, to redeem him. To, to change his life, to bring him into a walk with him, he who had denied Christ, who had laughed at Christ. When I committed my life to follow him, my life changed. But something that had happened that was completely, aside from all that, for about 12 to 18 months before that thing happened, I was aware that I had a condition in my body. I'll just cut to the chase. I don't know how you can say this nicely. I had a, my left testicle was about, you know, big. most guys are going, mm, yeah. I mean, you girls, let's just not go there. (laughs) And I knew that I needed to have something done about this. Up until then, guys, what do we do? Let's just ignore it. It'll just go away, yeah? Let's just not even think about it. But I knew that I needed to do something about it. So I went along, saw a doctor who immediately sent me to to hospital. The next day I was under a knife. Had a biopsy. I think that's what they take a little bit of it and they send it away. Yeah. Left a scar on me about this long. Very unpleasant. And uh, within a week the, the, the results had come back and within another day after that they'd taken that testicle out. Just like that. Not a very pleasant time of my life. I had on the one hand this amazing thing happening with God in my life. And on the other hand I had this Inconvenience of testicular cancer, um, and they, you know, they considered it would probably be, you know, lots of lymphomic stuff happening in there at the same time, but uh, by the by the diagnosis that they'd been able to make, and 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 so I'm sitting in this uh, specialist's uh, office there, and I would not like to have this job, and he's trying to tell me, he's trying to tell me the bad news. Now you need to understand that when I was about 16, I was in a place in my life where I was desperate to understand why do I exist? What is the meaning of life for me? Why does Larry Blackmore, what is the significance of his life? Why is he real? What What's happening around about his life? What is the meaning of life? And I had unconsciously gone on a search to find out the answer for that. That's probably why I ended up doing all the different things that I did in my life. And so 16 years later, I've gotten saved. And the question has been answered, why do I exist? I exist to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That was the answer to that question. And when I found that answer, I knew I'd found everything that I needed to find, everything that mattered in my life for me in that time and any other time that Jesus Christ was Lord. He was Lord of my life and I'd surrendered my life to His Lordship, bowed my knee to His Lordship in my life. And now I have this guy, this doctor, this malmeaning doctor, and he's trying to tell me, he's sitting there trying to explain that he is struggling to explain this for one reason and one reason only, because I'm smiling. And he's trying to explain to me that I probably have maybe nine, 12 months, if they can get me treated quickly enough. And I'm smiling. And he said, I'll remember this. He said, Mr. Blackmore, this is very serious. I'm not laughing. I'm not mocking. I'm not, I'm just smiling. Because in my brain, it's going, I spent 16 years searching for the meaning of life. And now I've found it, I'm going to die. It just seemed odd to me, as it would to you. So what they did, they bundled me up with my motorbike and my child and sent me to Brisbane, because I'm in Darwin, right? Sent me to Brisbane, and I'm in the Brisbane Royal Hospital where they're doing a number of these tests, and I've been there for a couple of weeks going through these tests, and the the church that I was part of up and that I joined in Darwin, my job's only there for about a month before they sent me. I'd only been to two services, I think, or three services. They said, when you go to Brisbane, go to Christian Outreach Centre. Now, Christian Outreach Centre is who we are, really. That's, our, that's the name of the, the denomination that we're part of. We trade as INC, and this is an elevation church, which is, guess, gets confusing. But anyway, and we, we celebrate 50 years this year. Christian Outreach Centre, 50 years ago. Let me tell you, back in the day, as far as churches went, we were it. Christian Outreach Centre was the most significant church in Australia and around the South Pacific and quite a bit around the world. It was a powerful church. It was a church that was unorthodox. It was something that had been, you know, God had touched a man who was a Methodist minister who had no education. God had touched him like like a Moses and and sent him forth, Clark Taylor. And there was an incredible thing happening uh, up in Brisbane. And I went along to Christian Outreach Centre and... uh, because I just like going to church. I'd just gotten saved and, you know, from, from turning to a guy that was never going to go to church unless my mum and my dad died, that would be it. And possibly if my siblings got married, I might go too. But now I would go to church every opportunity I went. So I'm halfway through these tests. There's probably, I can't quite remember, but seven or eight tests. I'm halfway through these tests and I've gone along to church on a Sunday night and, um, and they'd said, oh, there's a, you know, there's a service on Wednesday, see you here on Wednesday. So I rocked up, I'm, I'm a day, a, a, day uh, a day, what do you call it, a patient in the Royal, Hospi- Royal Brisbane Hospital where you stayed, where you lived on, in, in the hospital, but you just had these tests done because there's never anywhere else to live. So I rock up to this service, you know, there's hundreds of people there, hundreds. On the Sunday, there was thousands of people there. I rock up to the service and there's all these people there. And I'm 30-odd, and they're mostly old, right? So anything, by the way, is old. I'm 73 this year, so 74. That's old, yeah? And and I didn't know what was going on, and we just sat up and sang, and I didn't realize it was a healing meeting because it wasn't really significant to me. I just knew that God was God. I didn't know that God was supposed to heal you. I didn't know that God was supposed to look after you. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just knew that God was God. Anyway, I'm standing there singing and praying and and praising and that sort of stuff. And this young preacher got up and uh, Jeff Woodward, who now pastors our churches over in Western Australia. He said, you know, and he was leading them in. He said, you know, I was in traffic this morning and, and, and just stuck at the lights there. And I felt like God said to me, I felt like God said to me that today there's going to be somebody in the service who gets these little electric shocks all through their body. And he sort of pointed to where I now know there's basically the lymph system. Now, if this is you, well, we'll deal with it later. But for me at the time, I just said to myself in my mind, I said, well, yeah, but isn't that normal? Because that would happen to me all the time. I didn't realise it wasn't normal because it had just snuck up on me, quietly and slowly to such a degree that I didn't realise that it wasn't normal. I just thought it was normal. And I said to myself in my mind, But isn't that normal? And then this guy immediately says, no, it's not normal. I've talked to him about it since, and he says, you know, I never, ever figured out why I said that. I said, because I asked the question to myself, and I felt like God's answering, saying, no, it's not normal. And I'm just going, okay, whatever. Seriously, pretty thick. Anyway, he says, I want that person to come out here, and I'll pray for him or her. And I'm sitting there, going, looking around, and nobody's getting out of their seat. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not normal. So I stood up and came out the front. I got to within probably six or seven feet of this guy, and the power of God hit me, and I went down on the floor like a bag of spuds. Just the power of God to to lay you out. And I got up off that floor, and I knew that I was healed. Up until then, it, hasn't been, it wasn't a significant issue in my life. It was an inconvenience. But I got up off that floor, and I knew I was healed. Now, here's the thing. If God touches your life in something like that, if you go back and look in the, you know, in the Gospels or the New Testament, and, and, and the book of Acts, where God touched people's lives, incredible things touching in their lives, they ended up for a period of time like a religious maniac. I was no exception. I was pretty, you know, crazy about my faith up until that stage. But when God heals you of a, of a life-threatening uh, disease, takes that out of you, but something, something happens in your life. And I ended up going back to the hospital and, and uh, I was going around because we're in a ward, okay? There's three wards all joined together. There's 12, there's all males, 12 guys in the, each ward, 36 guys, and pretty much all of them had a death sentence on their lives. I don't see this mockingly or anything like that, but there's not a lot of hope in that ward, in those wards. And I've been trying to share to these guys the love of God and Nobody wanted to know, well, I came back from that. Within two days, they had me isolated. <laughs> Over in some corner, as far away from anybody else that, I could, that they could put me. I went through a couple more tests, two or three more tests. And then, you know, because it was pretty weird in those days. They, they, would, they would bring the diagnosis to you in the ward. In the ward, they wouldn't take you to some office and talk to you about what's going on. They would bring the diagnosis to the ward, and they knew that somehow I don't know how it worked out, but at 10 o'clock on some day, the specialist and the, you know, the professor and all those guys were going to come and, and bring my diagnosis to me. We, like I said, this was a, a ward where you didn't have to be there. You only had to be in the hospital for your appointments, if, and, and that's where you slept, because most of these guys were from out of the country, out, out, of, the, out of the city. 36 guys, normally there'd be half a dozen. Maximum a dozen people hanging around the ward. 10 o'clock on that Thursday morning, there's 35 guys plus me, 36. Every one of them were there to see me get mine. And I can't blame them. I cannot blame them. Everybody wanted to see this loudmouth, mouth, uh, you know, get his lot. Now by the way, at that stage, I'm about 90 kilos, which for me is just skin and bone. And so, you know, I obviously was in a pretty bad way. Anyway, so 10 o'clock comes along, the professor walks in and there's the bloke with the stethoscope and another bloke with the handboard and there was four of them. They all walk in and I'm in a corner, okay, they've got me in this, in this corner and they come around and they did a silly thing they got between my bed and the wall they could have got to between my bed and the and the bed next door to me, which is about twelve feet away. They got and they stand in there and and, and and the first word out of this guy's mouth was this: "Well, Mister Blackman, we don't understand what has happened." Well, I told him what had happened in no uncertain terms, and I said to him, "You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. It'll blow your mind." And do you know what he said? I don't want my mind blown. Seriously. This is a guy with an education that was as long as my arm. I don't want my mind blown. I'm off the bed and I'm at the end of the bed now. And there's the wall and I've got these guys corralled. <laughs> Preaching the gospel. How many people were there before they arrived? 36. How many people are left? Just those four. <laughs> Everybody vacated. Now, I only say that because it is a great story. I had to sign the papers and get myself out. And the reason that he said we don't understand is because he said to me, he said, up until this date, I asked him what was going on. He said, up until this date, there's absolutely irrefutable evidence of terminal cancer. You know, we possibly could, you know, treat it with whatever treatment they had back in those days. But we don't, we wouldn't have given it much chance. And then he said, but from that day onwards, there's not one little bit of evidence of any cancer in your body at all. Now it's an entirely another priest to ask this question. How does God do that? It's a fascinating thing. But how does God do that? So I was healed. God is God. But 12 months later, 12 months later, I'm in a Christian outreach centre, had a farm and had a campground called Mount Tachikoi. There was about 400 beds in this camp and they'd sent me up there because I didn't know where else to send me. So I'd gotten up there and there was all voluntary work and in the end I ended up managing the place. We'd get all these Christian camps come through, all these school camps come through Mount Tachikoi. <clears throat> and life was going pretty well. I'm just about to meet Norma, got better. But before that, I had the privilege of having a little house to myself because I was the manager. No, I didn't get paid. I got my fuel and my, all my food and my bed and lodging and that sort of stuff, which is a story that you heard about. the. only cost me 20 bucks about 12 pounds before. And anyway, one day I'm there, Making my bed. Love, I was making my bed. <laughs> and this thing came over my life. This thing, this thing invaded my soul. It attacked the very fibre of my being. It came at me like a, a bulldozer, like that thing that Gandalf stands there, that if you've seen the movie. It came at me with all the fury, with all the, with, with all the destructive power. That anything could come at me with, and I the, and this fear, this uncontrolling, terrifying fear that I'd lost my healing came over my life. There was absolutely no reason for me to think that way. I hadn't didn't have any physical sense of it or anything. It like, just attacked me. It drove me to my knees. It came at me with every furious thing that could come. It was real, it was tangible. It was terrifying. I'd never see, I'd never known what fear was before that. And all sorts of crazy things where I should have known what fear was. But just this, I was, I wasn't like that. I'd never known what fear was before. And I can understand where people have the same thing come across their lives, with, say cancer or some t- other terminal thing. I'm not taking this lightly. I understand what you go through. I understand the, you know, the, the thing that comes to try and suck the very life out of you, to suck the faith out of you, to suck the hope out of you, to suck the joy out of your life, to suck the reality that God is God out of your life. And I started to pray and I started to fast and I started warfare. Now, if you've been to any of our prayer meetings on a Wednesday night, you might think, man, you guys sort of go over the top a little bit, don't you? You know, and you struggle to keep up with the prayer during our prayer times and that sort of stuff. Let me tell you this. Those prayer meetings are great prayer meetings. You need to come along to them. But let me tell you this. They're pretty meek and mild compared with what we used to do back in the day. Because that's who we were. We were Christian outreach center, and this is how we fought. This is how we prayed. This is how this is how our leader was taught to pray by the Holy Ghost. And this is what we did. And I went to prayer. I went to fasting. I went to warfare, constantly. Three days of this oppressing battle, this oppressing warfare, and I couldn't get hold of it. Up until then, my whole faith walk and my whole walk with God had been something I'd had in, in, in the grasp of my hand. I could understand it. It was something that was that was actuating and something that was working for me. And this was not I just could not get hold of this. And then on the third day, I was walking from the lounge room of this little house into my bedroom. And this, I don't know whether it was a voice or a perception or this, I don't know whether it was loud or soft. I, 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 I don't understand it. But this question came at me. What are you worried about? It wasn't me. What are you worried about? You've got eternal life. A slight pause. And then this question. Haven't you? Haven't you? Haven't you? Answer that question. Yes, I have. I have eternal life, and nothing else matters. It God is God. What are you worried about? You have eternal life, haven't you? And then instantly. That thing had left me. Now I could get into all sorts of doctrinal arguments about, you know, where that was and what was all that about and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, do you have to have this and that and place and this sort of stuff? But here's the thing: you've got eternal life. Fact. Haven't you? It's a question. Answer the question. You need to grasp that. Instantly that thing had left me. Never to be back. That was over 40 years ago. Never to come back into my place. What are you worried about? You've got eternal life, haven't you? The amazing thing is, I learned another three words out of that. And these are the words that I live by. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, Paul said this. He said, God is faithful. God is faithful. You can summarise everything you like. I could write a book. But people say to me, Larry, you should write a book. And to call the name of my book, I was an idiot. It's true. Because everything in that book was God having to grab a hold of me and say, come on, stand up, you idiot. Teach me a lesson and change my life. And you're the same. Otherwise, we wouldn't need a Saviour. We wouldn't need God to be God. I learned this, that God is faithful. God is faithful. Now my entire faith in God relationship hinges on these six words, or really these three words. But the first one, is, of course, is God is God. But even if you just use the word God, that states that God is God. God is God, but God, who is God, is faithful. God is faithful. He didn't promise to heal me. He didn't promise to do anything to me, for me. He just promised to be faithful. I put my faith in the faithfulness of God. Put my faith in my hope and my dreams and the life of my children and my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren, in the fact that God is faithful and I will hold Him to that. I will hold me to that. I'll hold the spirit realm to that. That God is faithful. Faithful. Is it always gonna be fantastic? Is it is always gonna be great. I don't know. It's not my problem. My problem is to hang on to this: that God, who is God, is faithful. And you may be here this morning, and you may be just, you know, visiting, or maybe you've come along and you've just come along to hear what we're all about, and you've seen us and You got some questions? Maybe it's the same as me. Why do I exist? Can I encourage you this morning to open up your heart and allow God to be God in your life. That God is God and through Jesus Christ we have access to God the Father. We have access to truth. We have access to all of those things. And all you need to do is bow your knee, bow your heart, bow your mind and allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. Scriptures say, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. And then it might take God, you know, two hours or, you know, 60 years to get through your thick head the truth of who He is, because that's His desire. We're here this morning to give glory to Jesus Christ, that God could be God in this place, that the truth of His established truth in the Word of God can be alive in your life this morning. And so if you have never committed your life to Christ, or maybe you have, and you've since sort of let it wane a little bit and you've sort of walked into it and you couldn't say Well, yeah, God is God, but He's not my God. Well, He is, but He's not. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you just pushed Him aside because He got more important stuff to do. Whereas cancer for me was an inconvenience. God has never been an inconvenience. But if God is an inconvenience for you, you need to come back to Him. He doesn't care. He doesn't mind. He sent Christ to die that you would know Him. You need to give your life to Christ this morning. I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a minute. But you know, you may be here this morning and I said before there are concerning issues of, you know, your finances or your employment and that sort of stuff or your marriage, your children and that sort of stuff. And you would like, you know, I'd like, I'd like to really have that nailed down. You shall not pass. I'd like to be able to stand in the realm of the Spirit and reality and say to the world and say to that thing that comes to steal from my life, you shall not pass because God is God. And you want prayer this morning? We'll open up the altar in just a minute. But if you're here this morning and you haven't committed your life to Christ, and if you don't know that God is God, and you want to know this God who is God, this morning I want you to every head bowed, every eye closed, And I wanna ask you this, would you commit your life to this God this morning, to God who created the universe, to God who makes your life whole, to God who sent Jesus to die for you. And you would do that this morning while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Would you raise your hand this morning and say, Larry, I wanna take that step. I wanna be bold enough and strong enough to step forward and say, yes, that's me. And if you will do that this morning, would you please raise your hand? I encourage you to do it. Don't just think about it because this may be the only chance you get to do this. Maybe you'll get other chances for sure, but today is the day. Today is the opportunity for you to come and bow your knee to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, be my Lord. God, You are God. God you are faithful and you will save me if that's you this morning will you raise your hand anybody this morning well what we normally do is we now pray a prayer for salvation so if you're in this place this morning we give you a second chance you see that if you didn't put your hand up and you're going oh man I should have done that I should have done that because I know this much it's not a matter whether you raise your hand it's a matter of whether you and your heart want to be saved. And so we pray this, a prayer, sort of something like this. And so we all do it together. So you're not just by yourself. Say it loud enough so you can hear it. It goes something like this. Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, all of us. Lord Jesus Christ, today, I bow my knee to Your Lordship. I surrender my life. And all that I am and all that I have to You. I thank You that You have promised me wholeness and salvation. And I thank You today that I am saved. In Jesus' name, Amen. Father, this morning, I thank You, Lord, as You've known our hearts, as You've known my heart, You know everybody's heart. You know, every heart in this place, today, my God, I pray that by the incredible power of God that saves us, that makes us born again, that brings us into new life with Christ Jesus, that today, my God, you'll touch the hearts in this place. Today that you'll reveal God is God. God is faithful. God who is God is faithful. Reveal it to all of us, my God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.